Galatians chapter 2. What? Um, there's no room. Yeah, no. All right. So let's review real quick where we've come through Galatians so far. Um, Paul has been accused of not being a real apostle. Um, and the guys, people that are accusing him are called Judaizers. And these are Jews who have accepted Christ as Savior, but they believe in order for Gentiles to be fully saved, they have to become Jews. And so they have to be circumcised. And then last week we were looking at, um, they were also saying that they had to observe the feasts of, uh, of Jewish custom of the law. And so Paul has been arguing against this. And last week we, we made the point that um, you can't have the gospel without confrontation. In other words, Paul's argument was they're teaching a different gospel. There's only one gospel. And the only way he could deal with that was to confront it head on and to call it for what it was. And so in this heart, you're, you kind of, you're starting to get a, a picture of the personality of Paul. Remember, before Paul got saved, he was zealous for Judaism. He was zealous to the point of pursuing, arresting, killing Christians because he felt they were heretics and they were challenging everything he knew in his teachings as a Pharisee. Now that he has encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus, now that he's been in Arabia three years and been taught by the Holy Spirit through the revelation of the Holy Spirit, now that he's appeared before the council in Jerusalem and shared with them and spent 15 days with Peter, um, we begin to see his personality because in these four verses today, Paul is continuing to show how confrontation um, solidifies the position God has given him. And this time he's not confronting zealots. He's not confronting Judaizers. He's not confronting an issue of circumcision. He's not confronting those who came to Antioch and said, if you're going to be uh, Christians and part of the church, you have to observe all the Jewish holidays. Now we're getting down to individuals. Paul is about to confront Peter. And uh, let's just read what it says here. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, meaning these people from James, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before all of them, if you being a Jew live in the manner of Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? So Father, we just ask for understanding as we look at your word and as we look at this interesting relationship between Peter and Paul. And uh, so we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul's taking one more opportunity to show his independence 
from the church leadership in Jerusalem. Because remember, part of the accusation toward him was, number one, he's a second-hand apostle because um, he would had to have been taught by men, meaning Peter, James, and John. And Paul's argument is, I was not taught by men. I was taught by revelation. Um, understand, Paul probably knew the Bible better than anybody, at least the Bible that existed at that time. The top student of the top teacher, kind of like the valedictorian of the hardest school in all of Israel. So he understood, he knew the word of God, but he had always understood scripture through the perspective of the coming of Messiah and through the rigidity of the law and the ceremonies the Jews required. So for three years while he was in Arabia, the Holy Spirit taught him how the scripture that he knew pointed to Jesus as Messiah and confirmed Jesus as Messiah and confirmed that Jesus had fulfilled all the law and all the prophets. And so he's taking a, a third opportunity now to the church at Galatia. Remember, Galatia is a region. It's not a city. It's the only letter Paul writes to a whole region. It would be like if he wrote a letter to the San Gabriel Valley, to all the churches in Azusa, Glendora, Duarte, Covina, West Covina, Pasadena, Arcadia, Monrovia. The same letter went to all the churches because they had all believed together. They had all come to accept a false teaching. And so um, if... if a Galatian thought Paul functioned only under the guidance of Peter, James, and John, then Paul was going to prove him wrong. And um, so not only is Paul guided by Peter, but he becomes Peter's guide. He says, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him or I withstood him to his face. Now you can picture that however you want. But obviously it is a face-to-face -face confrontation. It wasn't like he sent him a letter said, Dearest Peter, knock it off. He stood face to face and said, What in the world are you doing? So even after the council, Paul asserts his independence as forcefully as ever because he's saying, Look it, you're saying these three guys taught me? You're saying Peter, James, and John taught me, instructed me on how to be apostle? Let me tell you, I have, I'm an apostle by the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and his appointment, and I've had to go and confront one of the ones you said taught me. Had to confront them and what they're doing wrong. So the conflict in, in Antioch develops in seven stages, and I'm, I'm putting them in the order that it happened and not in the order that they're talked about here, and so I have the verses next to them. So Peter comes to Antioch and begins to eat with Christian Gentiles. So he's He's breaking bread. It's like they're having house church, which is what they do have, because they don't have big buildings called churches. And part of the function of the house church was to eat together. Duh. And so certain men from James came to Antioch. So there's a group. Now, let me just say this. We cannot find anywhere in Scripture these men to Antioch. And the reason it's James is because James, the brother of Jesus, has been appointed as head over the church in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is kind of like the headquarters for the church. And so we don't have any proof that James sent these men. What proof we have is that they came and said James did send them. And because they are um, proposing and perpetrating something that isn't what James normally taught, there is question about whether James actually sent these guys or not. So Peter becomes afraid of this group. 
And Peter's fear causes him to draw back, separate himself from the Gentile Christians. The rest of the Jews, even Barnabas, who is Peter's right-hand man, um, uh, I mean, Barnabas, who is Paul's partner, uh, withdrew and joined the hypocrisy. Therefore, Peter stood condemned, that is, guilty of the wrong, and Paul rebukes him to his face. So the behavior is out of sync with the gospel and inconsistent with Peter's own lives and commitments. So how do we keep our life in sync with the gospel? In other words, how do we live what we believe in our heart as opposed to what we might say? Because here we can see that Peter is saying one thing but actually doing something else. And so... It says, in, in verse 12, it says, Before certain men came from James, Cephas, Peter, ate with Gentiles. So he said that though Peter was a Jew, he was living like a Gentile. And he was enjoying the freedom of the gospel. And that he was not requiring Gentile believers to become Jews by circumcision. Um, he wasn't requiring them to uh, to um, keep ceremonial laws. Um, and he also realized that just as even a Jew uh, was free in Christ to become a Gentile, as it were, he was embracing a Gentile lifestyle in the practices of how he ate, not in how he worshiped, but in how he lived his life. He was living amongst the Gentiles. He's in Antioch, which is not part of Israel. He's feasting with the Gentiles, which means he's going into a Gentile home, eating Gentile food, participating in Gentile fellowship. And so, and, and here's how Peter, we're going to go back and, and review something we taught um, last year in the book of Acts. Where did Peter get this freedom? Because a lot of Jews did not have this freedom. To most Jews, Gentiles were dogs. Literally, that's what they called them. So how did Peter get this freedom that would allow him go to the homes of Gentiles and have dinner with them and eat whatever they made? You know, they say the, the true creed of a missionary is to say, where he leads me, I will follow. And what they feed me, I will swallow. And so Paul had taken the true missions creed and that he had gone where the Lord had led him and he is eating what the Gentiles are feeding him. So as we keep that in mind, we go back to Acts chapter 10. Peter's up on the roof of his house. Well, he's not, it's not his house, it's a friend's house. And verse 11 and 14, chapter 10 of Acts says this, and he saw heaven opened and an object like a sheet bound at the four corners descending to him came down from heaven. So it's kind of like an upside down parachute or kind of like a cloth where the stork is carrying a baby. So this sheet is coming down out of heaven. All four corners have been pulled together and tied and it's coming down to him in a vision. And in it were all kinds of four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, Creeping things, which I don't eat creeping. And a voice, I'm a Gentile. Um, and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. 
But Peter said, Not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. So up until this moment, Peter is a Jew of Jews. He only eats what Jewish law permits. So this is an incredibly important turning point in Peter's life. Now, Peter has always been kind of the guy. You know, I mean, he's, he's the one who cuts off the ear and, of the soldier in the garden. Um, he's the one who declares all of these other knuckleheads are going to deny you, but I will never deny you. He's the one who denies Jesus three times. He's the one who encounters Jesus um, on the beach in front of a charcoal fire and is asked to feed his sheep. He is the one who on the day of Pentecost gets up on the balcony of the house and preaches to everyone who had come to the city for Pentecost. And so this is an incredibly important because even when he preaches on the day of Pentecost, he's not preaching to Gentiles. He's preaching to Jews. And so at that day, he still has the belief that Messiah was for the Jews only. And the message that he was teaching on Pentecost of the fulfillment of the prophecy of Joel was for Jews only. But now Peter is being encountered by God and saying, I'm going to expand your horizon. I'm going to blow your mind. So God was saying to Peter, a new era of redemptive history is dawn. Messiah has come. The sacrificial and ceremonial laws of the Old Testament have done their preparatory work. It's time to let them go because there's a new work I'm doing. And the new work I'm doing is expanding beyond Jews. And so um, in, in Mark chapter 7, Jesus, dealing with this issue of what's clean and what's unclean, he makes this incredible statement before Peter has this encounter, before he ascends to heaven. Je Jesus said to them, um, Are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? In other words, he's saying, look, it doesn't matter what you eat. It can't defile you because it does not enter his heart but his stomach and is eliminated thus purifying all foods. So Jesus was already laying the groundwork to say, look it, we cannot judge right based upon what's in the person's heart and how they live out of that heart. Because the Bible says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So Jesus is saying everything about who we are is not measured in what we do, it's measures what's in our heart. And what's, when what's in our heart flows out of what we do, we are living out the gospel. We're living out what Jesus came to fulfill. So when Peter is called for, he goes to the house of a Gentile. So remember, he's had the vision. There's a knock on his door. It's the servants of, of this man, Cornelius, who is a big dude in the Roman army. And they said, Cornelius needs you, so Peter leaves and goes with this entourage, and he goes to the house of, of Cornelius. He, he said to them, you know, it is unlawful for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to one of another nation. So he's, he's telling these guys who aren't Jews, I don't know why he's telling them, but he's saying, look at guys, here's the deal. The law I live under, the law I'm governed by says I can't go to your house. I can't go to Cornelius' house 
Because he's of another nation. He's of another nationality. But then Peter says this, but God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. So this is a defining moment in Peter's life. It's actually a defining moment in the church. And, and understand that it doesn't mean that men aren't sinners. It doesn't mean that we don't fellowship with people who are sinners. To the contrary, our dinner table should be surrounded with sinners. We should not just be eating with one another. We should be opening our table to those who are yet to taste of the Lord and see that he is good, for them to see what it is to live and to love like Jesus. It means, it doesn't mean that they aren't sinners. What it means is that nothing in a Gentile should keep a Jew from being with him to seek his salvation, just like us. Just because of a person's sin, it doesn't say because they sin, they are disqualified from breaking bread with us. To the contrary. Because they sin, all the more reason to eat meals with them and to learn how to love them. So Peter preaches the gospel to the house of Cornelius. And as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls upon the whole household. Not just Cornelius, but it says his family and all of his servants. And I, and I think about this sometimes. If you go back to the day of Pentecost, we who are in this generation who believe the gifts still exist today... When someone speaks in tongues, we ex we're excited and rejoice, but it's, it's, it's not a big deal in the sense of, oh, wow, what was that? On the day of Pentecost, it's a whole room full of, oh, wow, what was that? And they're not just speaking heavenly language. They're speaking the language of the nations, which should have been, or the different dialects, which should have been a key to them then. So as he's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on them, and it blows the Jews away that uncircumcised Gentiles who kept none of the ceremonial laws could receive the Holy Spirit simply by hearing the gospel with faith. In other words, that a Gentile could hear what the Jews already knew and embrace the fact that Jesus was indeed the Messiah the Jews were looking for and that by that faith, God would give them salvation, and the Holy Spirit would fall upon them in exactly the same way that he fell upon those on the day of Pentecost. And so Peter, because he's eating with Gentiles, he gets in trouble with James and the guys at the church in Jerusalem. And so he gets called on the carpet. He says, it's time for you to come to headquarters and account for what you're doing. And so it tells us in chapter 11, verse 2 of Acts, that when Peter came to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, you went into uncircumcised men and ate with them? And these are the same guys that we're looking at in Galatians 2, the guys who were upset that Paul was preaching a gospel that said Gentiles did not have to become Jews to be saved, which is what the Bible says, by the way. That, that he was being criticized for not making Gentiles get circumcised to complete their salvation. And so that day in the house of Cornelius, well, first on the roof with the sheet coming down out of heaven, then going to the house of Cornelius, and obviously he ate with them. He not only prayed over them, not only taught them, but he's being rebuked because he went into their home and he ate with them. And so his defense is given in verse 17 of chapter 11 of Acts. It says, If therefore God gave them 
the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Um, I always throw this in and that um, one of the things I was taught growing up, I grew up in a, in a denomination that believed the gifts had seceded when all the apostles died, that there's no need for spiritual gifts. And one of the arguments was tongues is bad for the church because it causes division. And yet it was tongues that caused unity. Because Cornelius, the Gentiles spoke in tongues, it compelled the leaders of the church of Jerusalem to embrace the Gentiles and to include them into the church. But there were just a few who couldn't let go of circumcision and ceremonial laws. So um, it's, it was an utterly life-changing experience for Peter because Gentiles don't have to keep the Old Testament laws of circumcision and ceremonies to have the same spiritual blessing that the Jews received. And, and Jews now are, fear, are free from the same law. So slowly but surely, Paul and, and Peter have been moving independently by revelation to the same understanding. Paul got his revelation. We, we know he got encountered by Jesus on the road to Damascus, but we don't know the revelation that he received in Arabia for three years except for through what he writes. So when he writes, he writes with understanding of what Old Testament scripture meant. For Peter, we do know part of the revelation, revelatory process he went through because we have the story of the sheet coming down in his encounter with Cornelius. So that is the gospel. When Peter ate with the Gentile brothers and sisters in Antioch, he was in sync with the gospel. Taking the gospel, Jesus said, therefore, go to all the nations, preaching the gospel to everyone first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then Samaria, then the uttermost parts of the earth. I don't know what the disciples thought that meant. You know, he said, Jerusalem first, but guys, we've kind of saturated Jerusalem. We're supposed to go to Samaria, Judea, everywhere. And so that is the gospel. When, and, and so he was standing fast in freedom, honoring the all-sufficiency of Christ by faith and walking in love. But then something happens. Peter was in sync with what the gospel is when he was with the house of Cornelius, when he was breaking bread with them. He was in sync when he had come to the Gentiles in Antioch. Again, going from house to house, eating whatever the Gentiles ate, you know, eggs and bacon or pork chops, you know, just all that stuff Jews don't eat. But in a moment of weakness, in a moment of weakness, he's cut off, he cuts off the fellowship with the Gentile brothers and sisters. All of a sudden, Peter goes from, okay, whose house, is, whose house are we eating at tonight? Where are we having church tonight? To all of a sudden saying, sorry, I can't come to your house. I can't come to your house for dinner anymore. He convinces all the entourage, the Jews that were with him, guys, we can't have dinner with these Gentiles anymore. And, and so when he did that as a leader, it blew everything up. Can you imagine if you were a resident in Antioch? You'd come to Jesus and your entire Christian experience had been the fact that you were presented the Lord Jesus Christ, you were given the right hand of fellowship, and you broke bread together because you were taught. 
that in Jesus all men are free. There's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave or free, male or female, that everybody's the same. And all of a sudden the guy, one of the main guys from Jerusalem, is breaking bread with you and the next day says, sorry guys, I can't come to dinner anymore unless you get circumcised. I can't come to dinner anymore because, well, it's Passover time and we celebrate this high holy feast and you guys aren't Jews so you can't celebrate it so I can't fellowship with you. We don't know exactly what Peter did, how he conveyed it to him. We just know he stopped. He stopped going to dinner with Gentiles. And so Paul says, Peter, Barnabas, and others were not being straightforward with the truth of the gospel. This is what he says in verse 14. When I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you being a Jew live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel the Gentiles to live as Jews? So Paul says Peter, Barnabas, and others are not walking right with the truth of the gospel. He's saying you taught them one thing, but now you're living something else. And so the benefits of the gospel can only be received by a living faith in the Son of God, not by the works of law. That's what they had been taught, but all of a sudden the message is changing. So when the gospel is received by faith, your life changes. You know, I've told this story many times, but I remember um, when we were in college, Calvary Chapel down in Costa Mesa was a church plant. And um, uh, the church grew exponentially because of a guy named Lonnie Frisbee, and the little church building they had could not even begin to house all the kids. So Chuck Smith rented a circus tent and set it up in the parking lot of the church, and that's where all the church services were. And we went down there, and while we were meeting in the tent, they eventually became bigger and bigger and bigger. and said, we need a building. We can't meet in a circus tent anymore. So they built a new sanctuary, and, you know, with the most modern things and whatsoever. And the whole thing that compelled young people, that generation, to come to church at Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa is because they could carry their surfboards, lean them against the tent. They could walk in in their jams without a shirt, or the girls could walk in in their bikinis. They could walk in barefoot. They could receive Jesus. And so thousands were getting saved. But now they built this building. The kids were still coming in barefoot um, off of the beach. You know, there's tar and dirt and everything. And they hadn't been meeting there very long that the elders of the church came to Chuck and said, Chuck, um, we got to do something. He says, we can't have girls come in here without bras anymore. And we can't have them coming here barefoot because they're going to ruin the carpet. And Chuck says, I understand. I'll take care of it. The next Sunday when they all came to church, the carpet was gone. He said, we never had to tell a girl to put a bra on. When they gave their heart to Jesus, they eventually started wearing bras. And it was about modesty. And this is, this is the thing. When... when the gospel is received by faith. Our life changes. The things that we used to do, we no longer do. 
because our life begins to be transformed. And when you finally hear and believe the drumbeat of the gospel, the rhythm of your life starts moving in different steps. And Peter, this, of this new thing that Antioch now, and they were all moving to the groove of this, of this new thing that um, Jesus loves them and had a plan for their life. And their lives are being changed. And now all of a sudden, Peter's changing the groove. He's changing the whole synchronization of what the church is all about by saying, I can't eat with you anymore because you're Gentiles, because you're unclean. So there's a step in life with the gospel, and there's a step of life out of sync with the gospel. So we can walk in sync with the gospel, or we can walk out of sync with the gospel. You don't attain the benefits of the gospel by doing a little moral cheap cleanup job in your own life. Yeah, we need to confess our sins, but the gospel is more than just about you. It's more than just about me. It's more than, more than just me making sure that I walk in righteousness and my sins are forgiven. To walk in sync with the gospel, we have to, we obtain forgiveness and joy and peace and power through daily reliance upon Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. But as we see as Paul confronts Peter, there's three things that happen in Peter's life that take him out of sync. Three things that change the groove, the flow, the ebb and flow that he was in. First of all, the fear of man is out of step with the gospel. So listen to what it says. It says in chapter, in, in chapter 2, verse 12 of Galatians, before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles, but when they came, he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who are of the circumcision. So the first thing that happens in Peter's life is he becomes afraid of what the council in Jerusalem is going to think about him, say about him, or maybe do to him. I, I don't know. See, but the gospel doesn't beget fear. Fear is not of God. The fear does not flow out of the gospel. Um, the gospel brings confidence. The gospel brings boldness. The gospel brings hope. This is what Paul says when he wrote to Timothy. God did not give us a spirit of fear, but a power and love and sound mind, which means literally means self-control. So believers who are tense, um, depressed with fear, they have feelings of anxiety for whatever reason, that something's going on or something's going to go on. They need to see the gospel again. They need to see that the gospel set them free from fear, from depression, from anxiety, from confusion. The gospel set you free from all of that. You, you, you need to stop and ponder what it implies about God's intentions towards us when his son died for us. It wasn't that we would become people who stopped living by one set of rules and began living by another set of rules, although that is true. But the rules we live by now are hope-filled. They are love-filled. They are life-filled. They are kingdom-filled. And so the gospel means that God is not against, against us, but he's with the ones who trust in him. So Peter is afraid of what these people, whoever they are, might do. But Paul, when he writes to the church in Rome, says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who 
can be against us. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? Is it God who justifies? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So Paul's saying, look at all of that. The gospel changes your heart. There's no, there should be no more fear. A life that sees and believes the gospel does not fear. Hebrews 13, 6 says this. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? And let's face it. Most of our fear comes from other people. What they think, what they might say, how they might treat us. Um, and so... And we all have our temporary lapses of faith like Peter did. We all at times want to become people pleasers for whatever reason. Um, but God is gracious for Peter. He is gracious and he said, Paul. He said, okay, I've got to straighten out this knucklehead. And so I'll send somebody who the church needs to see as an apostle. And by sending him and let him exercise apostolic authority over another apostle, it will be one more reason why they have to accept the authority of who he is. And so, just like he sent me here today to you to remind you, you don't need to fear anything. There is nothing that you are encountering in life that you need to be afraid of, afraid of especially you don't have to be afraid of man if you believe in the power of the gospel, this great gospel that changed our lives. So fear is out of sync or out of step with the gospel. But so is hypocrisy out of step with the gospel. He says it again. The rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, meaning Peter, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Peter, Barnabas, and others, meaning Jews, were being two-faced when they withdrew from eating with Gentile Christians. They were saying one thing with their actions, but believing another thing in their hearts. Uh, they sought to avoid censure of the circumcision party, which Paul had already said, these guys really, I don't even know if they're really followers of Jesus, if they're trying to add on to his message. But Peter caved into him at the expense of his principles and possibly at the expense of somebody in the church of Antioch, somebody who becomes so offended at Paul's hypocrisy that they say, forget this church stuff, forget this Christian stuff. You know, people outside the church are treating me much better than this guy who supposedly my leader is, is treating me. So Peter, it, according to Paul, feared what the believers of circumcision might do, and so he puts up a front. He becomes somebody different. Jesus says this in, in Luke chapter 12. He says, In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled one another, 
he began to say to his disciples, first of all, so this is Jesus speaking, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and what you have spoken in the ear in inner rooms will be proclaimed on housetops. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Powerful statement there. The worst they can do is kill your body. Jesus didn't say your person. He said your body because your soul lives eternally. Insecurity is inconsistent with the gospel. Let me say that again. Insecurity is... The gospel is empowerment. The gospel is boldness. The gospel is empowerment. The gospel is is holding on to the reality that you have the only truth. And there's nothing that can disprove it, dissuade it, or overpower it. Paul had, Peter had that truth, but he let fear and hypocrisy move in and rob it from him and cause a big chaos, a big commotion among the Gentile believers in Antioch. So when you feel insecure or frightened and are tempted to put up a front and avoid taking a stand for what you believe is right, the battle you are fighting is the battle to believe the gospel. The power, the battle to believe that what you have to share, this truth that you have to freely give, is less powerful than the intimidation of man. And look, we've all been there. We've all been in opportunities where the Holy Spirit has caused our heart to almost jump out of our chest to say something and to share the gospel with somebody, and we chicken out. And why do we chicken out? Because we're afraid of men. And at that moment, we allow the fear of men to overwhelm us to where we become hypocrites and we live something different than what's actually in our heart. So Peter is no different than Rick. Rick has had these Peter moments, although I eat with Gentiles all the time. I even have a Jew living in my house, so I should get extra points for that. But... um, But the gospel tells us that the death of Christ assures us of God's love. And which do we want more? God's love or the approval of man? Because that's what it boils down to. That's what it boiled down for Peter. Did he want God's love more or did he want the approval of man more? And the sheer beauty and the power of Christ's resolve to suffer for us, for me, is overwhelming. Jesus suffered so I wouldn't have to be afraid. Jesus suffered so I wouldn't have to struggle with hypocrisy. Overcoming the fear of man to play the hypocrite in order to avoid suffering or rejection or ridicule, whatever word you want to put in there, is not the gospel. Center your life on Jesus, on his gospel, and the root of hypocrisy is severed. You're no longer free. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to go out and be a zealous evangelist. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. I'm, I'm married to one. 
So it's, you know, she's, she's put me to shame since we were dating. When we dated, we would, it was easier for us to take the bus up to see my parents in Apple Valley than drive a car, so we take the bus and go up there and see my parents come back on the bus. We'd be sitting at the bus stop and these soldiers would come up. She's my girlfriend. I don't know if we're engaged. I think we're engaged by then. Because we were engaged two weeks after our first date, so it's pretty sure to think that we were engaged. Um, but she's witnessing to these soldiers wanting to make sure that they're saved. My heart was, I want to sit at this end of the bench because they're on this end of the bench. But that's just who she is, and that's who I am. But if the opportunity does come for me to share Christ in a situation where I feel compelled and I'm comfortable, I'll just do it. But there are times I have to admit, my heart, you can see my heart beating in my shirt, and I still, because of fear, don't share the gospel. We don't have to be that because the gospel is not fear-producing. The gospel is life-giving. And so, you know, finally, legalism is out of step with the gospel. So Paul says to Peter, but when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, if you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? In other words, why are you all of a sudden pouring legalism upon these Gentiles to say, now, if you really want to be saved and you really want to fellowship with me, guys, you got to line up and get circumcised. And you got to start partaking in all the Jewish customs. Now, <clears throat> When I read this, I thought about, you know, Peter, Peter could have argued, you know, what, what do you mean by compelling Jews, Gentiles to live as Jews? He could say, I haven't compelled any of them. I haven't gone to one of the Gentile believers and said, you have to become a Jew. You know, and, and, and Paul would have responded, it, it, it's not what you said, it's what you did. Your actions speak louder than your words. So even if you did not go to them and say, okay, I can't have dinner with you because you're uncircumcised, even if you never said a word and stopped going, your actions said the same thing. So um, and you're, you as an apostle cut off the table of fellowship with Gentile brothers and sisters because they don't keep dietary laws. You took Barnabas and all the Jews with you. The Gentile believers can't escape the impression that they're not fully Christian unless they become Jews. Paul is probably everything Paul said to Peter. That's legalism. Requiring that a person do some works of the law to be accepted by God and the church. It's out of sync with the gospel. It's not what the gospel is. Paul says later, and we'll look at this next week. He says, I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. So Paul's point to Peter was, if we still have to live by the law, then why did Jesus have to come and die? Because we used to think the law was sufficient. We used to think you needed nothing but the law and the ceremonies. But if that were the case, 
then Jesus never really did need to die. Grace is nullified and Christ died in vain, is what Paul says. So if Titus had to be circumcised when Paul brought him to the council in Jerusalem as kind of exhibit A in his defense, if Titus had to be circumcised to be accepted in Jerusalem, Jesus died in vain. If the Gentile Christians in Antioch had to keep Jewish dietary laws, so I mean, if, so if they'd started fixing kosher food, Peter would have come back to the table. If they had to fix kosher food in order to enjoy the fellowship of the body of Christ, then Christ died in vain. So the gospel is out of sync if we walk in fear. The gospel is out of sync if we walk in hypocrisy. The gospel is out of sync if we walk in legalism. Peter did all three things in a very short time. I mean, it's not a long time from seeing unclean animals come down on a sheet. I would love to see unclean animals come down on a sheet and say, get up and eat. I mean, to have that happen, to have the encounter with Cornelius, to go to Jerusalem, defend yourself, and be the one who convinces the entire church the Gentiles are okay because of what the Lord Jesus Christ did in their lives and the Holy Spirit did in their lives, and then in such a short time to turn around and go, sorry guys, I can't eat with you anymore. But the truth of the matter is, we're all Peter. Every one of us. But we all have an opportunity to stand or to sit. And so, there are three beliefs to never compromise. Number one, believe the great gospel of Christ and don't fear what men can do to you. If you think about this for a moment, in Jesus' first sermon, which we have covered in depth, the Sermon on the Mount, if one of the first thing he says to them is this, blessed are you and persecute you and revile you. To revile would be to challenge your, your beliefs, to say that what you're believing in wrong. These, these uh, Judaizers were reviling Paul, and these men of circumcision were reviling Peter, by challenging what they were doing. So Jesus says, bless you men, persecute you, revile you, speak all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake, which is exactly what happened. He said, rejoice and be glad, for so they persecuted the prophets who went before you. Um, great is your reward in heaven. So Jesus said, even to the point of death to this body, we should stand for the gospel. And to know that if we stand for the gospel, we are going to be persecuted, we're going to be lied about, we're going to be challenged, we're going to be made fun of, and we may even be killed. But that's the joy set before us. That's why the Bible can say, Jesus who for the joy set before him endured the cross. It's the same thing for us. Rick and, and Emmy and, and, and Caitlin, all of us in this room, for the joy set before us endure what whoever comes against us, whatever comes against us, for the joy of the cross. For the joy of the cross. So number one, we need to believe the great gospel of Christ 
and not fear what men can do to us. Secondly, we need to believe the great gospel and not play the hypocrite. We can't say one thing and live something else. I mean, the biggest argument you hear all the time, and it's kind of old, is I don't want to go to church because the church is full of hypocrites. Well, it's a cop-out, but it's true. Hold to your biblical principles and be willing to suffer the consequences. Jan. Very true statement. Neither one is good. So hold, if, and, and let me say, this is the broken record. You can't hold to biblical principles if you don't know biblical principles. If you don't know the Bible, you don't know what it says, you don't know how you're supposed to live, then, then you have a problem. So you need to make sure you know the Bible so you can hold to biblical principles, and therefore you're willing to suffer the consequences for standing for righteousness. And third is believe that the grace gospel of Christ uh, does not nullify the grace of God. Last week, we read this. Paul said, I'm sorry, not last week. This is in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Make it your aim in all you do to magnify the free grace of God rather than the achievements or the acceptance of man. Then you're in sync with the gospel, and then you walk right, and then the truth of the gospel is made known in your life. So, and teaches three very important lessons. A little story of three verses, and teaches three very important lessons that we need to hold on to every day. Because remember, we are all Peter. I probably would have cut the guy's ear off in the garden. I probably would have denied Jesus three times. There at his trial. You know, I probably would have done a lot of dumb things because I've already done a lot of dumb things. So I'm pretty sure I would be consistent in that. But here's the great thing. As consistent as I am in my failings, God is more consistent in his grace. And if we walk in that, we can stand and we can see his kingdom come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that Paul loved the gospel and Peter enough to confront him with his moment of lapse. And we know, God, it was but a moment. We pretty much know from history that um, that was the only time that Peter and Paul had contention. And it really wasn't contention. It was correction. God, thank you for Paul's correction to Peter because in doing so, he corrected me. In doing so, he corrects us. God, that we will never forget that the power to walking in synchronization with the power of gospel, power of the gospel means we don't fear man we don't say one thing and live something else. And we don't try and put a bunch of stuff on people to qualify them as Christians. God, we simply love them and let you do the rest. And so, Father, we thank you for your word, and we ask it in Jesus' name.